Charlie Nelson has a mind-blowing story, and there is nothing normal about it. He spent time in college bartending in Europe and backpacking in Southeast Asia. At 21 years old, he and his brother discovered a roadside historical marker 25 miles north of where they were raised. It was like lightning bolt. The historical marker had his name on it. It was the first time he'd ever heard that his triple great-grandfather was a whiskey mogul in the late 1800s. But all that history had been lost in Prohibition. So Charlie and his brother spent their entire 20s and 30s rebuilding that family legacy, even finding and recreating old recipes that are now winning awards. After 13 years of this, Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery was acquired by one of the biggest international spirits brands in the world. While Charlie talks often about the brand story, he never tells his own. So this is Charlie Nelson, the storyteller. But before we begin, did you know you can watch this entire episode on YouTube? Yeah, I know. Every interview, every awesome moment, it's all been captured on multiple cameras in our studio in Nashville. Just know you can always check out these full interviews on YouTube and then also really feel like you're sitting with me with each guest. And while you're there, go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel, comment on the videos you like best, and be a part of our community. Just look up Amstigator. Let's get started. I was at your distillery when you guys still had this in the barrel before you had even tapped it, before you had started selling That's it. right. And I remember, I mean, that was 2019. And I remember you guys being so excited and I was so happy when I was able to start buying it because it really is good. Thank I mean, you. I, I'm, that's Thank not you. just me blowing smoke. Thank I you. love it. And I, I appreciate like it. I appreciate that you don't serve it with ice. Well, you know, I think it's good for everybody to try it out just neat first and yeah. uh, then go from there. Some people, it's it's a little strong for some people. So you show take me it those down, people. Yeah, I'll exactly. teach them. I'll teach them how to drink this. So I love your story. I love everything about your story. I think it's Thank incredible. You. And I think there's so many people that can learn from what you've been through um, because it's it's full of hustle. It's full of determination. It's full of yeah. destiny, I think. Yeah. When I, when I hear everything that you guys, you and your brother, uh, everything that you've been through, it's just really incredible. But I want you to start me off bartending, backpacking. Start me there in your journey. Yeah, so um, gosh. Uh, where do I begin? Way back. Let's go way back. <laughs> well, so, okay, when I was growing up, um, my dad uh, told a lot of stories. And I was always inspired by stories that he told. And I, I didn't always know if they were true or not. Um, but I heard stories about him studying abroad in France. And, you know, he would always try and speak French and that sort of thing. And um, and I, I took French in in middle school and then in high school and then in college. So I, I was getting okay. Um, and I decided that I wanted to study abroad in France as well. So I did. Um, I studied abroad in Paris. And um, while I was there, I actually was kind of crazy. Uh, had a couple weeks in the south of France, uh, as like uh, gearing up to, to go into to Paris and, and to start school and everything. And um, 
anyway, uh, actually, while I was in the south of France, unfortunately, had a bad accident on a on a scooter. Oh my um, gosh! Unfortunately, yeah. So I you're like you could be in Nashville. Yeah. Twenty twenty two. It could be the same thing. Yeah. No kidding. Um, and uh, so I I still have I don't know if you can see a little bit of like gravel in my nose. Um, and my hand from some French gra I still have a piece of France in me. I oh my God, that's a war wound. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so, you know, had some some medical bills and um, I was just a, a, a broke college student while I was there. And um, I was had some friends in town who were in Paris who were uh, studying abroad in Italy or somewhere and uh, we're walking down the street, it starts raining, and we duck into the nearest bar just to get out of the rain. And, you know, I was in debt, had no money, and um, uh, we're talking to the bartender, and her name was Abby, and she, she was half French, half Australian, and she said um, that she was getting married and moving back to Australia. And I said, well, who's gonna take your place? And she said, well, do you speak French? And I said, a little bit. Un peu. Yeah, <laughs> un petit peu. And uh, she said, well, have you ever bartended before? I was like, well, no, but I'm a fast learner. She's like, hold on just a second. Let me, let me go talk to my boss, the owner. And she comes back five minutes later. She's like, how's Monday, six o'clock? Oh, wow. <laughs> and so it's like, all right, I'll be there. So, um, I, every day was kind of a, a different crazy story. Uh, and I think the last time we talked, you, you had some, uh, I think you were talking about some of the other folks that you were gonna be talking to and it was like the start of a joke. And it reminded me of my first day uh, bartending in at this bar, the Steeple Bar in Paris, because um, there was a, a, a Welshman an Irishman with a golf club, and then a, a Mexican guy from Tijuana who- <laughs> Wait, is this for real or this, is this a joke? It's not a joke at all. <laughs> and it, it ended up- All in the up, bar, right? All in the bar at the same time. Yeah, and it, it ended with a, a big political argument that turned into a fight, and then it was, it was a mess. Did and, you have to, you know, do a little fisticuffs, throw some bows. How'd that go? I didn't. Um, Abby, um, she, my boss, she actually reached over the bar and got the Irishman in a headlock. And <laughs> as this was happening, the guy from Tijuana was walking down the stairs from the bathroom and like <laughs> fell down the stairs. <laughs> and Abby's fiance, Marco, who was ex-French foreign legionnaire, happened to get off work a little bit early, comes in, has his motorcycle helmet, slams it down okay. on the bar and just regulates on everybody. <laughs> and and was, that's when you knew that alcohol yes. was gonna be in your future. Exactly. That's how you knew. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, what a great story. Yeah, that was my first first shift bartending. Wow, how long did you bartend? Um. At that location, about I don't know four or six months, wow. so not not terribly long. But I had to come back to the U.S. Back to life and back yeah. to reality, right? At some point. Yeah. yeah. So you're a Nashville guy, born and raised. Family's here, uh, and you've got roots here for several generations in Tennessee and in Middle Tennessee, yeah. specifically. 1850 is my history yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so my 
great, great, great grandfather, Charles Nelson, who I'm named after, he came to Nashville about 1858. So, and um, it's kind of a crazy story. Uh, I'll just I love go it. ahead we and go into it. We have so much yeah. time. Tell me. Cool. So he was, uh, Charles, triple great grandfather, born on the 4th of July, which, you know. Like the song. Yeah, exactly. So uh, in 1835 in Germany, and his father owned a soap and candle factory, which he sold, had the proceeds in gold sewn into his clothing, gathers a family, wife and six kids, board a ship named the Helena Sloman, set sail for New York, and while they're at sea, ship damaged and going down for a couple of days and my family's on a little safety boat being ferried to a nearby ship named the devonshire the safety boat capsizes and the father with all the gold on his person goes to the bottom of the atlantic because he's wearing gold yeah probably is part of the problem exactly so um the family fortunately makes it to aboard the devonshire to new york then they move to cincinnati then they came to Nashville in 1858. And that's when Charles started a wholesale grocery business and was one of the first to bottle and sell whiskey rather than selling it by the barrel or the jug. And his was good, right? People was, kept coming for his. Exactly. Uh, some of the most popular in the country. And then what happened? So uh, prohibition, statewide prohibition in Tennessee shut us down. And um, yeah, and that's when we were done. Yeah, so that's 1909. And making or selling alcohol at that point in this country was, I mean, that was taboo, right? So as oh, soon yeah. as it was, as soon as prohibition happened, I mean, that that's something that you didn't, that family didn't want to claim, right? Right. Yeah, it was, exactly. So it was looked at as an immoral business and an increasingly illegal business. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like, I mean, I think about it a little bit, you know, I didn't know about the business growing up. Right. And which is kind of crazy. And part of the reason why I think that I didn't know about it is because, you know, trying to compare like if your cousin or, or a family member is one of the largest drug dealers in the area, you're probably not going to want to brag <laughs> to all your family and friends yeah. and everybody about it. You know, yeah. it's, he was making and selling contraband, yeah, basically. Yeah. And it was not anything your family was going to claim. So that just got lost, yeah. right? No one ever knew about it. Yeah. And here you are, a child of the 80s, growing up in Nashville, <laughs> yeah. having no idea that some of your dad's crazy stories that had maybe half truth yeah. in them, you you probably thought there was nothing true in those far-flung right. stories. Right. And yeah, so, and then um, it all kind of changed uh, in 2006. So this was, I had, um, you know, prior to 2006, I was in France in like 04, 05, and um, I had fallen in love with traveling. And, you know, after I made some money bartending, I traveled around some of Europe and Southeast Asia for a few months. And um, I, I just fell in love with, you know, learning about different cultures and languages and um, you know, just meeting all kinds of characters along the way and trying all kinds of different foods and beverages and yeah. music and stories. Um, and so um, when I got back to the U.S., which my dad pretty much made me come, like <laughs> I, I told him I, I wasn't going to finish school. I, I was out, you know, 
all I needed was real life experience. I didn't need this theoretical knowledge that yeah, well, we pay for. Weren't you a philosophy major? Yes. So, Which I love, yeah. by the way, because it does sort of go along with drinking whiskey and telling yeah. stories, but please. Yeah, so exactly. I studied uh, humanities, philosophy, and French. And, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, my dad finally convinced me to, to finish my degree, which I, I did. And um, at the, the summer before my last summer, by the summer before my last semester of college, I was in Nashville trying to make a little money. And that's when my dad, um, he went in with three of his buddies to buy a cow worth of meat from a butcher. And he invited my brother and I to go with him to pick up our quarter of a cow worth of meat. And so we're on our way to this butcher, we're running low on fuel, and we stopped to fill up. And at the gas station, there's this historical marker that says Nelson's Greenbrier Distillery, one mile east on Long Branch Road, Charles Nelson opened the Greenbrier Distillery. It's like. You're like, that's my name. Yeah, what is this? <laughs> you know, and at first I, it didn't click because I was like, Charles Nelson's kind of a, common name you know yeah. i wonder if we're even related and we go on to the butcher we asked if he knew anything about the old distillery he happened to live a mile east and um yes you know he shows us across the street old barrel warehouse still standing original spring still running drank from the spring and then he sent us to a nearby historical society where there were two original bottles of our greenbrier tennessee whiskey which, cheers, by the way. Cheers. The original. Exactly. Okay. And the bottles have my name on them. And literally every hair on my body stood up. Okay, lightning struck. Yes. You're, this is the moment. You're 21 yeah. years old. Yeah. And you know. What is that knowing? What is that? It was crazy. Uh, it was one of the only moments of clarity in my life. And um, I, was, I was transported to another time and place. Um, it was like my life kind of flashed before my eyes. And it was, it was weird. Like I saw myself in a bar in Japan. I've never even been to, I still haven't been to Japan. This is the and, part of the story I've never heard. I want to know about this, this yeah. moment. <laughs> so like, you know, everything started to just make sense and to click. And, you know, I had been traveling around with no, it was just wandering, you know, sort of a wanderlust yeah. or vacilando or whatever you want to call it. And, and um, no real purpose. And as soon as I saw that bottle and I, and I loved doing it, um, but again, without any real purpose or direction, just kind of going whichever way the wind blew. And when I saw those bottles, beautiful bottles with my name on immediately it was okay this is this is what i'm here to do and i can now travel with a purpose and you know i can travel build relationships share stories and build bridges really and you know there were two things that really stand out from my travels in southeast asia specifically um number one I put number two, but number one was um, I was on a three-day boat ride from um, going from Thailand into Laos, and you know, stopping on we were I think going on the Mekong and stopping at a little I guess you could call it a port, um, 
to you know get lunch and everything there are these they're, little they're like floating right yeah. like floating they're not flotillas i don't know yeah. what to call them <laughs> I, I don't either uh but yeah um yeah so we're we're stopping to get lunch and and um there are these kids like 10 year old kids with their like baby brothers or sisters on their backs and they're trying to sell drugs to the tourists oh wow and it just hit me it's like man these these are human beings just trying to survive and they're you know it kind of made me realize that we may seem very different but we're all this i'm the same as you know those kids that are just trying to survive all the way across the world from me you know they may not have the same you know sort of material things that we have but all they want is, is you know, love and yeah. shelter and nourishment. And um, so it, that kind of just like sort of something in my mind clicked. It was just like, you know, we're all human beings and we're all the same at, you know, or like 99.999% the same in, in my opinion, at least. Um, and then also someone gave me a book while I was traveling, which is, is a pretty easy read, but it was called The Celestine Prophecy. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I haven't. But it was all about like reading signs and energy and stuff like that. And, um, and so while I was traveling, I was always trying to like read, you know, like if I was hiking, like trying to decide which path to take. And that's, that's loaded right there. Right. Okay. Keep, let's keep going. <laughs> but the, ironic thing is that I was looking for, you know, these sort of not actual signs, but, you know, signs of energy. Well, it's it's interesting, though, because I'm, I'm thinking like of you being in another country. I'm thinking of you being in another country on a path you don't know, reading signs in a language you don't understand. And how much like life is that anyway, right? How yeah. much of our own journeys are on paths we don't know reading signs we can't read, yeah. trying to figure out which way is up. And and I think in those moments, the only thing you can do is feel the energy of right. that, right? What feels right when I go this way? Does it feel right if I go that way? So, I mean, I don't think what you're talking about is too far off. I think it's so much about what life is. Yeah. You know, feeling your way through everything that you go through. Yeah. And sometimes fumbling through it a little bit. <laughs> or, or drinking, opening yeah. a bottle too. Yeah. But so that moment though that you saw your name on those bottles, you were, you realized those things. Yeah. And everything just kind of made sense. And I thought, you know, I am here to actually, you know, for a purpose. And um, that I, I can, you know, share my story with other people and... My hope is that it inspires others to share their story and we realize, yeah, and maybe it's over a glass of whiskey. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, cheers. Yeah, hey. <laughs> it's always so, better that way. Exactly. So um, my hope is that, you know, we start to build bridges and realize how much we have in common as opposed to, you know, how different we are. Um, and because I think that there's there's just so much that we have in common, whether it's, you know, folks like you and I or, you know, someone, you know, like me and, and uh, even a 10 year old 
kid from Laos who's selling drugs on a riverbank, which may sound crazy. No, but, but you're right that we do have all, all of us have the same needs. We really yeah. do when it comes down to it. I, I completely agree with you. And, you know, I think that's where something I like to talk about a lot is purpose, right? Yeah. So like, that's where I think purpose comes in. It's like, can you, at what point do you find purpose? Plenty of people would argue you don't find purpose, purpose finds you. Yeah. What do you what's your vo- viewpoint on it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's maybe, um, I think that it was kind of a little bit of both for me. I think that I stumbled across it, but um, it's, <laughs> It's hard to say which is which is which, I guess. Well, wasn't I feel like there was an intersection for you yeah. because just because you found those bottles of gosh, almost a hundred years after that whole distillery went dark, right. you still had to make choices about what you were gonna do next. You could have said, Oh, this was a cool story, but instead you and your older brother said, This is what we need to do with our lives. We've got to resurrect this and we've got to bring this to the people. This is our life now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and that set us on a path. That, but we, you're right. We could have chosen to to go different directions, and uh, I'm I'm very happy at the direction that we we chose. And um, yeah, it just uh, at that moment, everything seemed to to, to click, click and right? and make sense. Everything leading up to that moment then made sense when uh, before it seemed like it was just a a, a bunch of random events. Yeah. But now I think it's interesting because I, I would imagine that you get to take this all over the world now, you know, so that same wandering you did so many years ago, it has a different, has a, it does have a different purpose now because it's, it's driven by something that's both past and present and future. I mean, it's just beautiful. So once you discovered that bottle, 2006, Mm -hmm. you and your brother like, ah, lightning strikes, right? There it is. What kind of work did you have to do? I mean, because there was so much before you actually got to sell beautiful stuff like this out of a bottle. Yeah, um, so it, it certainly was not easy. And you know, like you said, I was, I was 21, 22 at the time and fresh out of college, barely of drinking age and with no business experience. So um, tried raising money for a couple of years and I would put on a suit and slick back my hair and (laughs) go and pitch some of the wealthiest people in town on why they should believe in us. And, you know, they'd ask, well, you know, uh, have you ever started a business before? No. Have you ever made whiskey before? Well, no, not legally, at least. Uh, (laughs) Just in the bathtub. That counts. Exactly. Have you ever sold whiskey? No. so how do you, what makes you think that you can actually start and run a successful business and make a good product and then sell it? Yeah. And I said, well, just trust me. And did they? No, not at all. <laughs> so, um, you know, after banging my head against the wall for a couple of years and, you know, doing a lot of research and spending a lot of time in Tennessee state archives and county archives, um, moving in with my parents and pretty much living off of peanut butter and jelly and ramen noodles, <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, finally, we we discovered that there was a brand that we produced prior to Prohibition called Bell Mead Bourbon uh, that was originally just uh, aged and bottled by my triple great-grandfather. So in order to get started, my family and I put up literally everything that we owned, 
mostly my parents' house. Um, that was a lot more valuable than my dog, um, to the bank at least. Um, and uh, to personally guarantee a loan to get started working with a contract distillery. Um, and then we were able to sell our first bottle six years later in 2012. Um, and how did you go about constituting what was in that bottle? Because weren't you able to come across maybe not exact recipes on some of the things, but close. Yeah, so we, we found like the original recipe for our Greenbrier Tennessee whiskey yeah. and um, found that actually in an old newspaper article that went through the whole process step by step, which was very interesting. And, and uh, you know, it was a, another sort of aha moment. Um, but, and Bell Mead was kind of like a bridge to, you know, build a proof of concept start generating revenue, attract investors so that we could then build out our own distillery and start laying down barrels of Greenbrier from the original recipe. And um, and we actually just started selling this a couple years ago. So it only took us about 13 years to get to the starting line. That's, that's what I love about it though, is when you guys started putting out Bellmead Bourbon, mm -hmm. it wasn't just like some mom and pop operation that you're like, look, Ma, I've got some bourbon. You yeah. guys won awards as yeah. soon as you put it out. I mean, it's really incredible. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and so, oh, you asked about how we sort of figured out how to put something in the bottle, or what yeah, to put yeah, in the bottle. In it. And it was crazy because this doesn't happen anymore. Uh, we had a guy that would come to my parents' house like with a briefcase full of barrel samples from a bunch of different distilleries, you know, different mash bills and yeast strains, mm -hmm. different recipes. And, you know, we spent about a year and a half kind of tinkering around and trying to find the right blend. And we had a panel that was my dad, my brother, my grandmother, a guy, Dave Pickerel, who was former master distiller at Maker's Mark, and, oh. and one of my best friends who's blind and has a heightened sense of taste and smell. <laughs> I love that panel. Yeah. You was, put your you put a lot of trust in the panel. Yeah. It was the brain trust, wasn't yeah, it? Exactly. Or the bourbon trust. So, yeah, there you go. I like that. Wow, what a great I love that that that's how far you were able to get just on your own. So then you produce this beautiful thing, you win awards, and then you're able to say, Okay, we're actually creating something. Yeah, yeah. So we opened up our own distillery in twenty fourteen. Um, and then shortly thereafter, we started attracting the attention of some of the bigger companies mm -hmm. and they started knocking on the doors and, and the whiskey business is a very, you know, the two things that I was told from all the experts at the very beginning were you have to have a lot of patience and a lot of capital. And I said, well, I've got one of those things <laughs> and I think you could probably guess which one. Um, and so, you know, we realized though, if we wanted to, to grow and, and, you know, realize the vision that we set out to, uh, to create, uh, we'd have to probably partner with a, a strategic company. And so um, we had folks knocking on the door starting in, you know, 2014, 2015, and we ended up, you know, taking on a strategic partner in 2016. And was that Constellation? Yes, Constellation Brands. and. Um, and then we sort of uh, furthered our relationship two years ago as they took on a, a, a bigger stake. Yeah. Or do they own majority now? They do. Not 100 percent. Yeah. But because it's your yeah. name, right? I mean, yeah. this is you, you guys. This is your name. This is your legacy. I'm, I understand why you would want to retain as much control as you could possibly do, because I mean, that's that's your family. Yeah. That's your family name. That's your legacy. 
exactly. And that and that's something that we it was kind of a non-starter for us um, was selling a hundred percent. We were not willing to to sell a hundred percent. And it's 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 not just a, a business for me, like you're saying. You know, it's it's a way of life, and yeah. it's it's always going to be a part of me. And um, you know, it, it it's you can't really separate the two of yeah. us. I think it's it's interesting because I I think about so many parts, so many points in our lives, and you're on the back half of the 30s, similar to I am at this point. Have you reached the point where you've been able to look back on your life and go, oh my gosh, you know, I, I went through this, I did this, I, I was so into this, all of that, the sum total of those parts are where I'm at right now. Have you had one of those reflective moments? Yeah, you know, a, a little bit. Um, and. I really, over the last 15 years, you know, I didn't really have time to reflect. Um, and it wasn't really until actually a, a couple months ago, my dad passed and yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I had and, no idea. Yeah. Um, and thank you. Um, so he, after that, it the floodgates opened and um, I was finally able to take a step back and, and kind of reflect on what's happened over the last mm. 15 years and sort of start to put things into perspective a little bit. And, and also, you know, to kind of just in my mind celebrate some of, you know, the, the things that we've accomplished and yeah. some of the wins and, and also, you know, understand better. I'm not a parent yet, at least I, I hope to be someday. I've got a dog, but um, to sort of understand from his perspective and, and both of my parents' perspective, some of the things that they did or, or said as I was growing up and and realize that they were just, you know, trying to prepare me for for my life. And, and you know, it was all out of love. And um, so... But yeah, it's like being able to reflect is very important. And I wish that I had spent more time over the last 15 years reflecting. You've got, you've got a lot of life left. Yeah. You can still continue <laughs> to do it. I hope you're loving Amstigator. Honestly, it's the most fun I've ever had. From the moment I decided to create this podcast in 2021, I knew building community was the goal. I mean, it was everything. And thanks to the internet, we're able to be worlds apart, but still be connected. But I'm creating a way for us to get together, like physically, actually in person with Amstigator events. I have an event coming up in June right here in Nashville. It'll be a time where you can meet some of your favorite podcast guests, watch a live podcast taping, and listen to speakers who I've personally selected who will help us all reframe our thinking and reclaim our lives. But that's literally the purpose. It's literally the name. I'm calling it Reclaim by Amstigator because I want you to go into this one day summit so ready to receive some really high grade wisdom about reclaiming your life as your own. You know, we take on so much expectation and storylines from other people that quite frankly aren't ours. So what is your story? Let's find it. Let's reclaim that. That's the purpose of this event. And I want you to join me. Just go to amstigator.com slash events and you'll find everything you need to know right there to sign up, book your travel and come to Nashville. Now let's get back to the conversation. What are the things that your dad 
stood for as it dealt with what you guys were doing? I mean, when you and Andy were like, we're going to do this, tell me about your dad in that process. Yeah, so at the very beginning, um, I mean, we had opportunities to take investments from people that he never made any decision for us. He always just tried to lay out facts and help lead us to make the best decisions for ourselves. Um, and at the end of the day, if we made a decision that he didn't agree with, he accepted it because he, you know, he wanted it to, you know, for us to be able to take responsibility for our own decisions and our own actions and everything. Um, and that was something that was important was actually taking responsibility for your own decision decisions and actions. Um, and, you know, ultimately, we were very close at one point to accepting an investment from a group that didn't have the same vision as us, which was very tempting to uh, take a $3 million investment when you have nothing. Um, and ultimately we said no, and I'm, I'm very thankful that we did because that entity ended up uh, doing something on their own and going bankrupt within a year. Oh, wow. um, and there were just a number of things that like, he, he didn't really care what other people thought of him if he believed in something, then he was going to do whatever it took to make that a reality. And, and something that he taught me, one of the first things that, you know, came to my mind when, when he passed was, I remember distinctly a moment when, you know, I was kind of frustrated, I think maybe in high school or something. And at the dinner table, he said, Charlie, look, you can do whatever you want. As long as you believe you can, you can do whatever you want. If you want to be president of the United States, you can be it as long as you believe it. And I kind of laughed about it, but then it, it really stuck with me. And, and, you know, that sort of was what I heard in the back of my mind, you know, when I was in France and I was like, well, I can, I can get a job bartending. Why not? I can make it through Southeast Asia on my own without knowing the language. Why not? I can start this business. Why not? It might take a while, but um, I think that the biggest thing was that he just, he taught me to believe in myself. And, um, and I think that that's a, a powerful thing for anybody um, is just having the, the belief in yourself and the confidence to, to move forward. I want to play a little story with you. Are you ready? Okay. It's a series of questions. You can be as brief or as long-winded as you want. It's your episode. Well, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, just keep in mind, I don't have very many short stories or short answers. That's great. I mean, I'll try, we, though. We've got nothing but time, <laughs> truly. Okay. All right. When was the best time in your life? Oh, my gosh. Well, other than my wedding. Um... <laughs> like, you're supposed to say that. <laughs> keep going, keep going. Um, you know, I would say that the one of the best times of my life was when I was when I was traveling in in France and in Southeast Asia, and I felt like I was the most alive and learning the most about not only the world and humanity but myself as well. And um, 
testing my limits and there was um, one particular story <laughs> that could go on for about an hour at least, <laughs> but um, where I was trying to find a water, I love jumping off of a waterfall. It's been too long since I have jumped off of a waterfall, but there's nothing like it. And um, I was again in, in Laos outside of Nongkiao and um, I was trying to find a waterfall, ended up following along a water buffalo path that I didn't realize was a water buffalo path. Ended up, you know, <laughs> thinking I hear gunshots. Turns out it was a fire and like there were, it was cracking, just trees were cracking so loud that they sounded like gunshots. And then I ended up, you know, going down a different path like getting stuck in a pit of buffalo dung and then oh, finding myself across in this village where these people, I was like, you know, head and shoulders taller than anybody yeah. else. They showed me to the river to like clean myself off and then uh, was barely rescued by these folks that were floating by in a little canoe made out of um, U.S. bombshells. <laughs> And Your stories are so unexpected. Oh, they're so great. Yeah, that was a crazy experience, but it, I mean, Best it was- Best time in your life. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was like the most, you know, I thought that I might die there, but then making it through was like, I could do anything. I love you know? this. Every story, every story that you tell is so great and so unexpected. It really is like, I, let me just sit at the fireplace and hear Grandpa Charlie tell me more stories. <laughs> I'm in for it. Um, when was, we talked about the best time in your life. When was the worst time in your life? Oh, gosh. I mean, um, over the course of the last couple of years was probably as, as bad as it's gotten. Um, you know, my, my dad had a pretty bad bout with dementia, um, and it's brutal. I mean, um, just seeing someone that you love and respect more than anything in the world just kind of deteriorate in front of your eyes is nothing that I wish anybody had to go through um and you know and then when he did pass um it you know it was it was kind of a sense of relief and getting to um hear from all of his friends and family members and hear these stories that i had never heard before um made it a, a little bit easier and, and more bearable, but. It's hard, the timing. I, I just didn't realize any of that because I, I'm thinking, you know, outside looking in 2019, you have this incredible year professionally because yeah. when Constellation takes controlling interest in, in Nelson's Greenbrier, and then here you are on a personal level dealing with the person who probably believed in you guys most, and you're watching that that deterioration. I'm so yeah. sorry. Yeah. Because isn't that isn't that like life though that you have something incredible yeah. and you're in the same parallel paths, incredible and excruciating both at the same time. Yeah. And it was it was just it was really lonely because we didn't really know who we could talk to about. I mean, it's just yeah. it was just it was a it was a really tough time. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, now I, you know, I 
feel his spirit with me and it guides me in some ways at times, you know, when a, a tough decision has to be made. And I know it's, it's only been a couple few months, but there have been some tough decisions that, you know, previous to, you know, him passing, I, I may have gone a different direction, but feeling, you know, being able to reflect and think about who he was and what he stood for and what he truly wanted um, has really helped help guide me and my brother. Mm. When was their greatest, oh no, excuse me, I missed one. When was a turning point in your life that you look back on and you say everything changed from this moment? Gosh, there's, there's a, a few. Um, um, I guess, you know, traveling was, was one, you know, once I just got to France and, and sort of realized that, um, that I could sort of make it on my own somewhat, um, uh, you know, gosh, there's, there've so been, many, right? Yeah, Finding there, the label, there, there, I'm sure. Seeing oh the my, historical I mean, marker, yes. like that's a lightning bolt. <laughs> like, yes, that's that's maybe uh, definitely the biggest was, yeah, going to visit that butcher and then find, <laughs> finding the historical find, marker with yeah. your name on it. Yeah, that's that's number one. Yeah, that's <laughs> crazy. Yeah. yeah, I should have said that one first. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. This is your. This is yeah. you. Yeah. This is your life. Yeah. This is you telling me about you. Yeah, <laughs> and. Um, yeah, and then uh, you know, most recently, going back to just my my dad, things have have kind of changed and and opened my eyes and put things into perspective a little bit. Mm. And I'm sure it'll continue to happen, right? Yeah. Things will continue to happen that you that change your perspective. Decisions maybe that you didn't expect will come up that that tra change your trajectory, right? Forks yeah. in the road. Um, when was the greatest moment of clarity for you? You talked about it earlier, and I was like, he doesn't know it, but it's yeah, a question that's coming 100 up. 100%. I mean, that was, the, yeah, that was yeah. the moment seeing those bottles with my name on it. I still it, don't understand why you saw them in Japan. Do you know why you saw those bottles in your mind? Like why, why I was transported why to Japan? Why were you transported to I, Japan? I, I don't know. I mean, um, it, so my great uncle, his name was Ed Nelson, um, he actually he's got a crazy story as as do a number of other folks in my family but i love your um, life i just love so, i love your way yeah. i love it <laughs> um he after world war ii he was uh, a spy stationed in japan posing as a pearl buyer and so i just had heard stories about you know his time in japan and um, he was fluent in Japanese and, and maybe that had something mm. to do with it or I don't know, maybe there just the fact that like the Japanese love American whiskey. That's what I was going to say. Isn't there a huge market for bourbon for in sure. Japan? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And we've had some bottles somehow like make it over to Japan, uh, that I don't know how they made it. Some folks just that came over and, and brought it back with them. So, yeah. Oh, I love that. Um, tell me something about your nature that you've had to work on or that you've had to overcome. Yeah, so um, growing up, um, I've, I've never been much of a fast talker. Um, <laughs> and 
and you know, my my parents would tell stories also about um, how like playing sports, I was always a little bit bigger than others, and like I would try not to like hurt other people while playing sports. Like I might be able to just like because you're and, just larger, right? Yeah, because yeah. your size. Okay, and and so. I didn't have that like killer instinct just to like crush everybody and <laughs> score and dominate. I wanted to like bring people together and like involve others. Oh, yeah. And so at times that was not great because like in basketball in middle school, which I loved playing basketball, but I wanted to, you know, involve other people. But, you know, at that at that age, it's like, you kind of need to take over if you want to like, you know, be the star of the show, you got to like, you know, kind of be selfish. Charlie, and, I think you're an old soul. Everything, everything about like the stories you tell, it, they just feel like you were born, maybe you were born 50 years old on the inside. <laughs> and now this like iteration of you at 37, am I right? 37, this, yeah, yeah. this iteration of you in your late 30s is like, so far past a 37-year-old. <laughs> it's funny. In, when I was in high school, my basketball coach said, you're like a 55-year-old in a high school kid's <laughs> body. And um, But yeah, I mean, it was... It, and then, like, just speaking slowly, people would think that I was dumb, you know? And and my dad had the same thing, and he, he was in the movie business for a while in California, and... Uh, he used that to his advantage. You know, he would let people underestimate him mm. and think that because he was a slow-talking Southern guy that, you know, they he would catch him off guard and take advantage of that. So Yeah, I love that. I love that because there, it takes chess-like precision and some real powerful thought processing to be able to kind of like game out that process, to allow people to underestimate you based on the pace of your speech. Yeah. That, that does take a, a just like thinking, really. I mean, you really, have to, you really have to be thinking so many steps ahead because your dad knew, and probably you know too by this point after all these years, that when someone underestimates you, you can only outperform their expectation. Yeah. Absolutely. He call, I think he called it playing possum. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very Southern. Yeah. It's very Southern to say that. Yeah. What do you find yourself saying a lot lately? So anything... Make it just... do what it do. Oh, <laughs> tell me more. Tell me more. Um, it's just something that I say. Uh, I, I'm not 100% sure where it came from. I think that it came from the movie Ray. <laughs> but... Um, I, I've kind of just always had like since since I was in middle school and like it seems like every year there would be something that I would <laughs> there, I just remembered some a silly one that I said in middle school but like <laughs> I'm amazed that you can remember that back that far yeah I remember my screen name from eighth grade but that's like about as <laughs> I was, chick I was Chickadee 226. Oh, Who nice. are you? I was Chuckles 500. <laughs> Chuckles? <laughs> yeah. Because I. Sorry. The only time I got grounded, 
my parents were out of town and my dad had like bought this old Impala for like a hundred bucks or something. And I was like 14 at the time. And um, I took my brother's friend for a spin around the neighborhood and we were just like being crazy. And he was like, it's the Chuckles 500. And so. Golly, okay. So what? So make it do so what it do. Make it do what it do. And That's, what else? So, um, uh, gosh, I mean, um, I also like. Why? Well, I, I, that's kind of like everybody knows that I that's say. You, that's you. Yeah. If yeah. it came, if those words were written, they say, yeah. "Oh, it's Charlie." Yeah. Like I'll even if I'm signing a bottle or something, I might write that <laughs> on the bottle <laughs> because it's just like you know, it's kind of a silly thing. Is it like and say. boom, Bob's your uncle, or like? Or I do what have is an it? uncle Bob, but. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's just like, uh, it's like, just make it do what it do, baby. You know, like, <laughs> you just do do what you're supposed to do. Make, you gotcha. know, like, I don't know. Just yeah, make like it happen. It. Maybe it's a situational I, thing. Maybe give yeah. me another, give me another situation where you use it. Use uh, it in context. Uh, gosh, it, it can, it can be uh, used in so many situations, but um, someone is like, you know. Let me help with this one. Oh, okay. Charlie says, <laughs> make it do what it do, because he realizes that taking life too seriously doesn't get you anywhere. Oh. Like, make it do what it do. Like, do keep doing what you're doing. Be I trust true. you to do what you oh. want to do oh. in your life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, for that, in my family we say, keep on living. Yeah. Keep it, go. just keep on living. Thank All right, you. thank you. <laughs> Michelle Palmer, producer for Amstigator, everyone. <laughs> very, very well known to Charlie, yeah. too. Um, okay, what's your purpose right now? Take a slow sip, think about it, no rush. What's your purpose right now? Um, I, I think and I hope to ground people sometimes and help them find their purpose or help put them on the path to finding their purpose um, and to hopefully just slow down and enjoy life and what's happening and just kind of like get out of your own head a little bit. Um, you know, another story. <laughs> I love it. I love um, that you're a storyteller. Do you realize yeah. this about yourself? Like you are next level storyteller. Has, <laughs> has anyone ever told you that? I mean, nobody's ever said the next level, but. Uh, yeah, you are but, next level storyteller. <laughs> There's a story for everything yeah. and I love it. I, it's, yeah, it kind of gets me in trouble. But um, I, so when we were first launching our whiskey in Georgia, I'm in a bar. Um, actually, there's another story even before that. Uh, it's a bar called Holman and Finch, and they had this uh, window where they would display the bottles, the brands that they have in cocktails. And there was like a line of bottles of Bellmead bourbon because they had it in a cocktail. And my brother and I are there. Uh, we, we didn't know that that was there. And I see from across the street I could recognize our bottle. And I go, Andy, Andy, look, look at this. There's some bottles right there in the window. And he's like, what? And I was pointing and there's a guy sitting on the bench there talking on the phone. And I'm pointing like right at his face because the bottles are right above his head. And um, 
And so we, I'm like running towards him saying, look, look, look. <laughs> and the guy looks up on the phone. He's like, oh, God, no. It was Owen Wilson. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm, <laughs> I'm not pointing at you. I'm, it's our whiskey. It's, I, and he's just like, oh, get out of here, man. And then we go in and it's like, oh, <laughs> shit, you know. And Your <laughs> stories are amazing. Okay, keep going, keep going. So we go in and having a drink and telling the bartender just like the story behind the company and everything. There's a guy sitting next to us. And at the end of the story, he says, I'm sorry, I, I have to say something. We're like, yeah. He's been eavesdropping the whole time, yeah. right? Okay. He's like... I've been working this shit job for the last five years and I've got this passion project that I've wanted to pursue and, you know, I just heard your story and I think I'm going to do it. I, I can't take this job anymore. I think I'm going to do it. Thank you. We're like, all right. There go, it is. Go for it. Well, okay, so that, that right there is why I wanted you to be a part of this because... There are, in my mind, two very specific types of people when it deals with purpose. You've got people who I consider experts, right? The, the teachers, the coaches, the authors, the mentors, the people who say, hey, my purpose is to help people find purpose. Mm. And so there's those people that really focus on that, that help you know, encourage others. But then there's the other type of per person with purpose, which is, in my mind, the prototype. Mm -hmm. The prototype is singular. It's one person one story, one experience. It's their experience of finding what it is that they're supposed to do in this life. So you, my friend, are a prototype. And everything <laughs> about your story is a prototypical story. None of what you've been through could have happened to anyone else. Mm. And when you put all of it together, I mean, I, I look, I have the benefit of being objective. I'm, I'm not in your life or in your yeah. family. I can look from this outside viewpoint and say, wow, you were in France bartending. You were backpacking the southeast of Asia. You were, you were doing this wanderlust life, already roaming, searching for what it was that you needed. You were already tuned in to me. To me, you were already tuned in. You were already looking for what that was going to be. And then when it hit you, bolts of lightning. Yeah. You know, from a historical marker. I, I that's to me that's everything. And then people would like to say, hey, your success, you you know, great job, you did it, and they want to claim you, right, because we're here in Nashville, and they want to claim part of your success. But that success was from 2006 to 2019 when you guys sold controlling interest to, Con to Constellation Brands, an international company. I mean, that, that trajectory, that was overnight success 13 years in the making. <laughs> you know, and that's yeah. incredible. It's just incredible. And it was because you guys knew in that moment, you knew that that was going to be your life. And when it's purpose, it never is. It's never done in one year. Yeah. It's never over and out. It's always yeah. a multifaceted, multi-year event. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. And it's so funny that you say that the overnight success, 13 years in the making, because there have been so many people that have said, oh, gosh, you guys are just this great overnight success i'm like are you like Gah! do you have any idea or there's also a lot of people that have that has been frustrating that people are like oh gosh that's so great that uh, you just inherited this great family business i'm like 
No. I did not. It was dead for <laughs> was, almost 100 it was, years. Yeah. It was from your gumption and your agency that you brought it back. Yeah. You reached into something that you were, you know, that was in your DNA. I mean, there's a lot of people yeah. who will say, hey, you know, w let's reach back through our ancestors. Let's reach back through the stories and the, the family line and figure out what was there, for better or for worse. Yeah. And you found that. And you did all the research to uncover. I mean, like the, the fact that and you guys- And still learning more. Are you? Well, tell yeah. me what you're still learning. Well, I mean, you know, still finding like old bottles and advertisements wow. and, you know- And Louisa. I mean, yeah. I think about Louisa. Tell us yeah. about Louisa. Yeah, so Louisa is a huge character in our story and, and a huge inspiration for me and my brother. And uh, so she was my great, great, great grandmother who um, when Charles, her husband passed away in 1891. She took over and ran the distillery from 1891 to 1909. And that's remarkable for a number of reasons. I mean, being a woman in the South prior to 1900, running a business. For almost not 20 just any, years. Yeah, and you know, whiskey business, a male dominated industry, and she didn't even have the right to vote. And, and you know, she was just a remarkable character. I mean, like most families or most businesses, like their son, their oldest son was Harvard educated, you know, able-bodied. Like prior to 1900, it would have been just standard, you know, yeah. it goes protocol to, to go to the- It goes to him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so she was a, a woman of remarkable character and, and uh, uh, she piss and vinegar probably yeah, yeah. I mean like you have to be in this in that yeah. industry I would think and I couldn't imagine the position that she must have been in where you know sort of uh, the women's suffrage movement went kind of hand in hand with the temperance movement so she must have been between a rock and a hard place you know because here she is a woman running one of the largest whiskey companies in the country and presumably uh, pro women's suffrage yeah but the that movement was kind of anti her business right um and so i think that that probably um must have been really tough for for her but we we've tried to honor her in a number of ways we named our still after her we have a, a mural of her painted in our production area and we created the louisa nelson awards where um we throughout the year take nominations for women in the middle tennessee area that are making a difference in their in the community and then donate money to charities of their choosing in their name and so we we try and honor her and and one other thing that um you know we found her obituary and um it was interesting because we have charles's obituary and louise's obituary obituary and charles's is like very long and thorough sure. and talks about his accomplishment accomplishments and everything. Louisa's talk also about Charles's accomplishments. It's like this woman did amazing things. So we want to, we want to like rewrite her obituary and, you know, talk more about what she accomplished rather than her husband. You, you strike me as someone who loves history. Yeah. Do you love history? Just absolutely. aside from your family, just someone who appreciates the past. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I think that discovering my family's history and everything, I, 
before that, I didn't know how much I appreciated it. And, um, but yeah, I, 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 I love it. And, you know, whether it's movies or books or, yeah. or just other people's stories, whatever. Do you, you, you mentioned that in big decisions, you feel your dad, you feel your dad's spirit with you to yeah. help, you know, just guide you through that, which I imagine is so powerful. In this process, since 2006, have there been points where you have felt like Charles Nelson or Louisa Nelson is with you? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. And and we try and every year, you know, Charles was born on the 4th of July. And and um, so every year we try and go to his, his grave site and, you know, do a little cheers and pour some whiskey out for him so that he'll continue uh, providing good... <laughs> pour one yeah. out for your homies. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm I'm inspired by his obituary and and Louise's to an extent, though I think it should have been a lot more robust. Yeah. Well, you're rewriting that. Yeah, and um, so yeah, I I think that they're they're with me, and I I just I try and think about the way that they lived and and try and make them proud. Um, and because they had such an impact on their community and I hope that we're doing just a very small fraction of what they did. Oh, I think you are. So. Thanks for being here, Charlie. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. If you're loving the Amstigator podcast, the interviews, the stories and the vulnerability, I'd really like your help to share it with more people. And you can do that by reviewing it. The more positive reviews a podcast has, the more likely it is that Apple and Spotify and Google and everywhere will share it. And if you take the time to do that, I'm giving you something really special. I'll send you my free ebook that I don't have anywhere else on my website. This is my path to transformation that I started in late 2020. It has my routines, my schedules, uh, what I took on, what I let fall away. It's truly how I do life, honestly, how I work full time at the TV station, how I have three tiny children, how I still make time to do this purposeful work. And it's something exclusively for podcast listeners who leave an honest review. So here's how you get that ebook. If you want it, just go to amstigator.com slash review. That's where I give step-by-step -step instructions on how to review the podcast. It takes you two minutes. You'll share your email so I can send you the ebook. Bada bing, bada boom, it's done. And literally, it's something exclusively for my podcast listeners who go to amstigator.com slash review and follow the steps. It's how I say thank you to you. Your review really can help place this podcast where more people will see it. And that's why I started this, truly, to help as many people as possible. So you're a part of that. Amstigator.com slash review is where you gotta go. Thanks for listening. <laughs>